What's up, former party people? This is Jerry, you know, the one who actually combs his hair on the A is for Alcoholic podcast. Now, if you're finding value in listening to the AIFA podcast every week and you want to support sharing it with others, we invite you to become a sustaining monthly or per show contributor. Go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. It's super easy and it only takes a quick moment. It's about as easy as buying one of those pre-cooked space chickens from the grocery store, taking it outside, giving it a big old kiss, and kicking it into traffic. (laughs) Why would you do that? Anyway, you do you, and I'll do me. Again, go to patreon.com backslash AIFA. And with that, people, let's start the show. A is for Alcoholic is a program about recovery. My name is John, and I'm an alcoholic. And my name is Jerry, and I'm an alcoholic. Join us as we go through the alphabet of alcoholism one letter at a time. Here we are once again, Jerry. Time yeah. keeps marching on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had kind of a weird week because I hurt my back. And so I had I was out of work two days, which, you know, I was out of mm-hmm. work for like two months there, three months. So, I mean, and you're, you've been out of work since... My birthday. <laughs> for six months. Something. I talked to my boss today, and she's like, you've been out of work for six months. And I'm like, yeah, I have. I have um, But it was just kind of a weird week. And, you know, I think it was from, I don't know if it was from doing the fucking squats too fast or trying to stretch my, like, whatever, trying to stretch a glute muscle or some shit. I don't know, Stretching man. Stretching them glutes out, dude. That's so, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's a Dan Savage yeah. podcast. <laughs> Let me stretch those glutes. So mm-hmm. I've been out. I'm going back to work tonight, but um, it's uh, it sucks, man, when you hurt your back. It just reminded me of the like being fat and like hungover and like hurting myself and having to like yeah call out of work and mm-hmm. being you know like well I can't do anything and I can't move and I you know it was and the fear and anxiety that I got from not working was compounded, was on top of all the pain I was feeling, whether it was in my back or my foot or, you know, so I'd be like, oh God, I'm not making this money. And so this time around, one of the cool things was, I was like, okay, your health is important. You Mm -hmm. will make more money. You can lose a couple of shifts at the restaurant and you can just rest yourself. Like I didn't even get to do all my push-ups and squats and fucking crunches this month, you know? I was going right. to bang it out and do 100 every single day, and then it just stopped right. because... That's a lot. That's a lot to do every day. That's that's what my girlfriend said. She said, John, you've been busting your ass every single day. Maybe it was a bit for much. For two months almost For two now, months because almost. Because the whole last month you did the slumper, mm-hmm. sleeper challenge. Or right. Slumper, sleeper. I don't fucking... Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, man, you've been pushing it to the limit, dude. Take it to the limit. Is that the Scarface song? Right. Take I think so. It is. Razor's yeah. edge. <laughs> I was thinking um, that, that take it to the limit one more time. Is that who's that? That's the Eagles. Any money? No, that's the, the it Eagles. It is the Eagles. It is. Fuck. Um, but yeah, so it's been a weird week and, um, just sort of out of sorts the last couple of days that sort of milling about the house that, you know, I think Mm -hmm. because, and you know this because you've been quarantined and, and all that stuff. (laughs) I do a lot of milling, you know, know? and I was just like, fuck, but I can't, but I can't move. And that was the, that was the frustrating thing. And, and just being like, oh, my back hurts. Well, I got to ice it, heat it, rest it, stretch it. And so I did like Mm -hmm. a yoga thing and that's all I can do. Um, but it was so much better then even though it reminded me of the drunk like injuries that i'd had in the past mm-hmm. like i didn't have to i didn't have all that extra compounded worry and anxiety yeah and mm-hmm. depression from maybe like drinking on top of it or n- trying to not drink because i'm trying to heal myself or whatever so interesting it was you know, it's interesting because it feels like almost from all that time you spent drinking your mind was conditioned to mm-hmm. to uh to accompany the pain of an injury with all of that that emotional pain as well. And now mm-hmm. that you're it's lacking, you're like something's missing. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. What is missing? Oh right, it's shame and the emotional hangover. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is funny. I uh, or- throw my back out in my sleep. I do it all the time. How are you? You need to get some new pillows or something. 
I sleep like a wild man, dude. I, you know, <laughs> do you want to hear something funny? And not to get too political again, but yeah. So I was given a my pillow for Christmas a few years ago, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't like it; it's super uncomfortable. But I yesterday I needed a pillow to sit on in the garage on my chair because my chair is too hard and it hurts my back. So I flat out used the my pillow. So now I fart in the my pillow. Nice. And that's my story. I had the my pillows. I got rid of them. Um, I did. <laughs> it's true. It's a recovery podcast right here. Um, they're in the back of the. They're in the trunk of the car. I figure, like you know, maybe yeah. there might be some use if I'm out in the wild or something right. like that. I don't know. But it could be my pillows, though. Not I don't not know the my pillow. Could be the pillows I own are very flat. They're very fucked mm-hmm. up. Crushed or shaved bamboo, man. I'm telling you, look into it. I'm gonna look into it. I'm gonna do some research, some bamboo research changed my life but uh yeah i mean i throw my back out a lot so i'm really familiar with that i can very much relate to that i throw my back out where i can't go to work and it comes from painting and tattooing Mm -hmm. and just i walked with a hunch for most of my life i had such bad posture because i had such bad self-esteem that i'd pull every i'd want to roll up in a ball you know huh so how about that yeah so i yeah i walked with i had a horrible hunch for like all through high school i had bad acne and a hunch in high school i was killing it dude i was killing it It's just, it, yeah, it's just interesting. The whole, like, especially you talk about the shame and having bad self-esteem and, and how all mm-hmm. these things affect you physically. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm okay with it. It's like, oh, it hurts. It'll pass. And that's something that I would live in the pain for, like, every moment of it and be so angry at it and yeah. at myself. Mm-hmm. So... So other at least came from improving your life, you know. This pain mm-hmm. came from you trying to make an improvement instead of yes. you trying to, you know, make it worse. And it also has taught me, like, oh, okay, so I didn't complete my quote-unquote challenge. It's like, well, right, I got plenty of time to complete another challenge and do something else, and it's all about the long term rather than the short term gain. You know? Right, it is short term gain. Right. Because if you do 100 a day for a month and then stop, you don't really gain much. But if you do 25 a day forever, you're killing it. Right. So right. that's that's something to think about. Um, think I about did, it. I did want to say something else, too. Is like um, I wanted to say thank you to our patrons on Patreon again. Um, yeah. And I know that some folks, it's it's always hard, like trying to convince somebody to give you money for something. Trust me, I know that. I, you know, I'm on the internet a lot too. And, um, I just want to say thank you. And I always love, like, even the sweet messages when people go, you know what, times are tight right now. And I'm going to have to pull, like, I'll get these messages from people and say, like, I'm going to have to pull my money. But as soon as something comes up, I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys a really appreciate it. You're worth every dollar. Like, I get a lot of these things when people are really, people are just, you know, um, they're like dropping from like $5 to $1 or, or whatever. So the fact that anybody wants to give us a dollar for anything is fucking rad. It really is, man. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it helps us with all of the, the costs of, um, you know, the monthly costs and the, uh, since fucking the Apple update destroyed our free audio software, um, mm-hmm. and we had to both buy this program. Anyhow, I just wanted to say yeah. thank you to you guys. Um, so with that preamble, or how was your week? Are you, or how are you doing? Boom, 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 boom. Pretty good. Been painting all week. We've been working on painting this, uh, person's house as well with social distancing and masks, which is kind of weird, but everything's weird right now but other than that everything's good i've been yeah just mostly making art and playing some video games and mm-hmm. working out and running and yeah meandering <laughs> doing some milling, milling around <laughs> the house milling you know, about adjusting adjusting all my knickknacks walking up and be like this needs a quarter turn to the right <laughs> yeah going up adjusting the tv a little talking to the cat mm-hmm. just being like well, how's your day you know hey I, not much. I've finished John Barleycorn on audio. Yes. Finished a, yes. Um, going to talk about John, John Redcorn. We today. are, we are. And before we do, I just, I have another question. Do you think there would be, would anyone out there, this is a question for you, Jerry, and also for our listeners. Would anyone out there be interested if we had a Twitch stream? <laughs> do you think anybody would watch what a live stream? What game are we going to play together? I imagine would just be us hanging out. I, what, you and I don't really play the same games though. Well, I mean, we could find a game. We could find a couple of games. There could be some, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we probably could. 
do a Twitch stream where we go around and um, like set up some meetings for for uh, folks in the game. Twitch meetings? Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. We're just playing GTA Five and talking about the fucking big book. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know what he. I don't know if that's. Oh jeez. Uh, just it's, yeah. I mean, it'd be fun. I like playing games with you. If we just do a World of Warcraft AA meeting. Or, or like could just you... a minotaur talking about his rock bottom and shit. <laughs> Basically, yeah, man, waking up in the barn. Um, but, but I don't know. Maybe uh, Fallout. You could you could build like a church basement or something like that with little I could maybe machines, yeah styrofoam cups. <clears throat> so just a thought. If anybody out there would be uh, interested in, in watching us play video games let me know give give us the feedback yeah that would be pretty funny i mean there are some fun <coughs> games we can figure it out um today on the on the big program we're gonna talk jay is for jack london's john barleycorn um, i kept calling i kept calling it john redcorn I, ca- I made the joke earlier i was like oh. megan i'm reading john redcorn that's from uh I'd... that's the the native american from king of the hill right right yeah. yes mm-hmm. um so John Redcorn. Jack London's John Barleycorn. So I want to give you... So we're not really going to do a play-by-play book review here. Um, nah. Because I, I I read it, and then I, I just listened to it over the last couple of days that my back was out. Yeah. And I found... Yeah, I found it far more obnoxious and annoying than I did the first time I read it. It's it's pretty funny because I had texted you, and I'm mm-hmm. very reactionary. This is part of my personality, but I texted you... I'm like, thanks, John. You ruined Jack London for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know basically, if it's five him that, but yeah, I was just like, was man, it. now Jack London's ruined for me because I loved reading his books when I was a kid. Like, I loved Call of the Wild. Um, I, I, it was like I first read that when I was like 13, and it, I was like, damn, I want to have adventures. And mm-hmm. then I read this, and I was like, damn, dude, you're having a hard ass time. Damn. Right. So a little mm-hmm. a little history on Jack London. Um, he lived from 1876 to 1916. He was uh, so he was 60, which I, I guess is pretty decent for that time of uh, for that time period. It's a good run. That's a good run, good run for that time period. Um, and so he died of he when he when he died. He had dysentery. He had uremia, uh, which is basically mm-hmm. kidney failure. Um, kidney failure yeah so he he that. he died an alcoholic he died of late stage mm-hmm. alcoholism it says right up on the wikipedia page um and you know there's some other he had some he was a socialist he was also pro eugenics was some other mm-hmm. weird shit you know but um but so he's a racist it was yeah he's so racist. the book is the book has got some got some serious racism in it it's got some serious sexism yeah. in it um oh yeah it's it's uh definitely um of its time (laughs) can we say that's a good way to put it right because it fits in with its time i mean those ideas back then weren't they were not extremist ideas that was just normal that was i at least as far as the exhausting research i've done yes (laughs) no yeah it's it's just i reading it it was the racism and the sexism in this book is very nonchalant wow Right, as yeah. if that's mm-hmm. just accepted. Yeah. Um, but so he wrote this book, John Barleycorn. It, it was published three years before his death, so it was published in 1913. Yes. And the sub, the subtitle is that what you call it? Like the subheader is what? An, yeah. Is it? I think it's called an alcohol, an alcoholic memoir or something like that. John Barleycorn, yeah. an alcoholic mm-hmm. memoir. Alcoholic and, memoirs. Yeah. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about this book because. It was, um, you know, it was, it was written. What I'm gonna, and I'm gonna feel bad because it was written what twenty years before AA was a thing. AA was yes. what, like 1933 or 1937? Yeah, somewhere something in there. like that. So somewhere in there, it developed or whatever became a thing. So, as far as my understanding of the history of that time in America. If you had alcoholism, they just locked you away, and um, and locking you away basically, you were already far too gone at that point. Yes, right. They would just throw you mm-hmm. in an insane asylum. You would go crazy, you would die. They would probably put you on some yeah. kind of drugs, and that was it. Like it was just not. 
it was an incurable disease. Yes. And so I thought yeah. that this was this would be interesting to kind of just look at it from that perspective over a hundred years ago. Uh, that mm-hmm. there was no cure for this. And or at least, you know, it was either you got it or you didn't. You were an alcoholic and you yeah. died, or you didn't. Um Right. And so he talks about lots and lots of his drinking. I'm assuming if he wrote it in the last, those last days or the last years of his life. Um, but he talks about being a child in this book. He talks about being a teenager and it, it kind of mm-hmm. like goes into his twenties. Um, and basically, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think I said this to you last night. It's just like a 220 page drunk log. Yep. I mean, that's what it reads like to me because there is no, there's no way of, I don't know. There's just no, um, uh, it just doesn't end. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no change. Right. It doesn't. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't. There's no, the there's right no, there's, no, there's nothing you know that changed him. No conclusion. There's, there's no conclusion. Yeah. There's no, um, there's no what it's like now. There's just how That's it was. That's what I wanted to say. Right. Yeah. Just how it was. Nothing really changed. Uh, something's um, changed, but then, you know, yeah. I mean, the book starts with him in the present, writing back from voting for women's rights to vote, because in his mind, he's like, if women mm-hmm. get the right to vote, then they will pass prohibition, and then I'll never have to drink again. And he's mm. fucking loaded. He's like riding his horseback, dr- pleasantly jingled. Yes, you know? that I was pleasantly jingled, Is that or tingled? Jingled? Yeah. Pleasantly jingled. jingled. Um, mm-hmm. And so... In, in the entire throughout the entire book too he um he's always blaming someone else it's, oh, yeah. it's mm-hmm. always the it alcohol is so prevalent so if we can make it less prevalent I'm writing this for the young men for the young boys who are coming yeah. up behind me mm-hmm. um you know and and this thing that some are affected and some just aren't and I he spends most of the book con- trying to convince the reader that he's not an alcoholic. Alcoholic, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I only loved um, it in the sense you that know, I was like, he, dude, you're a fucking alcoholic, bro. It's all right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So his reasoning is that if alcohol is not available, alcoholics will not become alcoholics, which makes sense but then i would imagine in my reasoning i think a person with an addictive personality will just find a new thing Mm -hmm. to hook onto that that potentially could be destructive to their life yeah and in the early days in the of his life you know he talks about being a kid and being a teenager and even into his 20s Mm -hmm. he's got he's got a sweet tooth he loves candy yeah dude i yeah (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, so all this shit is there. He's just like, I went long periods of not drinking. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I was on a boat and I didn't drink for six months and there was booze on the boat. And I was and then he's like, but it was booze I hated, though. So, you know, you know, it's like me and my alcoholism. If you had put me on a boat full of red wine, I could probably go a while without drinking the red wine until I had to drink it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know, man, because I hated red wine, but I just. I just it's a lot of denial yeah and it's a lot of like him reasoning with himself and it bums me out but uh, but because i really did like him as an author and i still do and i know we shouldn't hold these people to above their station in life because they're human beings and they're full of fault and mistake you know but to read all the fault and mistake just like so flagrantly put out there do you know what i mean yeah like he's like how many conversations have i had with people who i know are like just like me and they're like hey i'm not one of those alcoholics though that falls down in the street or is homeless i'm not homeless and that's basically what he's doing through this entire book is just mm-hmm. well i'm not one of those dipsomaniacs it has to be carried out of the bar and then the next chapter he's like so i got carried out of a bar you know and i'm like damn dude like yeah yeah i mean everything there's it's actually you know another uh, little funny note is that it's the very first time that the phrase pink elephants is ever yeah written. um mm-hmm. but yes he talks about oh i got i don't get yes there it's he's constantly contradicting himself about those things like you know i do i wouldn't get thrown out of a bar but then i get thrown out of a bar i didn't need the drink but then i was there with the drink again um like you mm-hmm. could literally uh this is the opposite of everything in aa this is like basically i feel like bill wilson read this and went 
okay, we need to actually fix these things. These are problems. Yes. These are. Yeah, I can see that. That's pretty funny. Do you know what I mean? Like you could pull out some of the steps from this, I think. Um, But there's just so much. Yeah. Denial and contradiction. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. talk about the. The the traveling. Right. So. So Jack London was an adventurer, which is and he talks very much about wanting to be an adventurer and wanting to go and Mm -hmm. not just toil away in whatever factory for 12 hours a day right you know and oh do those he did that yeah Mm -hmm. and all these things and um what adventuring is traveling a few times in this book at least a couple traveling it means going to a different geographical area to try again right and so I love how you're taking this apart and looking at it because yeah, I didn't even think about Jack London trying to do geographicals constantly. Motherfucker was doing geographicals his whole life. Yeah, know? like back in 1892, <laughs> yep. before planes. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he's on a schooner, <clears throat> uh huh. You know, up to his fucking ankles, up to his knees, and dead fish, being like, "It'll be different this time on this boat." Basically, I mean, there's a there was a mm-hmm. couple. There's at least one where he gets into some kind of altercation he gets into a bar fight and Mm -hmm. the next day they're like off to something else because he has like destroyed some relationship or there's been some problem that he has to get away from and he's like well i'll just get on this other boat and go to benicia or or whatever else or to the tropics at one point or he's in australia at one point too so he's going all over the place and you know as long as you keep moving nobody can you know really hold you accountable for your actions as long as you know right to everybody else it's just new material you know and you're doing the same old shit there's that part of the boat of uh, the book too where they're on a boat and they're like on a fishing crew or something and they stop in japan and they want to go see all these hanging gardens and all this stuff and they end up just getting fucked up for five days and missing out on all of it and i think that was his example of like how alcohol has affected him in a detrimental way mm-hmm. but then within that same passage he's like yeah but we had great fun though so and so took all his clothes off and rolled around in the horse shit in the mud and fucking we had to like wrestle him back onto the boat and he's like yeah I missed out on seeing all that stuff and that's a bummer but I had a blast though you know like broke my finger and had a fucking blast and it's so weird those two ideas existing at the same time you know it's that cognitive dissonance you know Mm -hmm. two opposing ideas two opposing concepts and I think he really um, I think he really I think he wanted to stop and had no resource to stop now I don't want to say that AA would have solved all those problems but I think being around other people who wanted to stop like some something similar you know what I mean I don't want to sit here and be like we're the AA podcast this is the end all be all but I really feel like if he had another person who was going through his shit you know what I mean and mm-hmm. was just talking real another chesty man <laughs> Was just talking real to him, you know. Does he use I, that I phrase honestly, in there somewhere? Oh God, che- <laughs> dude, the word chesty is in this book like hundreds of times. Like, but you're you're right. That's his version the, of masculinity if, is chesty. Mm-hmm. Having you know, there's what is there was some I saw some quote or something online. It said you can't change you something about you can you can't change the people you're around, but you mm-hmm. can change the people you're around. Yeah. Basically meaning you can't change people, yeah, but you can, you, you know, you can, you can, you can hang out with a different group. Change them out for better people. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. maybe that's, that's, I mean, I think that's definitely true, but you know, yeah. who were the people that he continually sought out were fucking shifty pirates and, you know, yeah, like, drunks and shit, which is, makes sense. Like <clears throat> I, I can relate to his story. I feel like he was on the verge of it the whole time. Mm-hmm. The verge of being like, this is not working. I'm just going to stop for a little while. And then somebody would come visit him. Hey, Jack, how's it going? And then he'd go off on another binge. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems like the whole book was him stopping binges, starting binges, or saying, alcohol is horrible. I'm not the problem. Alcohol is the problem. You know, I saw a lot of that too, mm-hmm. which just, I just frustrated me for him. <laughs> I was just like, no, dude, you're the fucking problem. You're over there fucking <coughs> manhandling fucking bags of 1842 taffy or whatever. Like, dude, you're right? the problem, dude. And that's yeah. that was the funny thing, too, about candy. And I was like, dude, I used to eat the fuck out of candy. Always. So did I. You know? um, so so there's this huge... So he's constantly doing geographic geographics. 
Um, Mm -hmm. He had a sweet tooth that lingered well into his adulthood. Um, Right. He was constantly blaming society, the ubiquitousness of alcohol in it. Um, If I could just get somebody else to vote to vote for prohibition then everything will be fine if i could just get uh-huh. somebody else to do something um everything everything will be fine that it, that it's not yeah. it's not within my control that i am mm-hmm. you know well he's almost there in the first step that he's he's almost saying that he's powerless over alcohol but then in the next breath he'll be like right. but i am not an al- of alcoholic stature i i drink with gentlemen or so, you know i drink like a gentleman right Mm-hmm. so but let's that's a great point that is a great point the what that well just a powerlessness and just in in my mind i thought about him he is basically saying almost saying he is saying i am powerless over alcohol if alcohol if it is not accessible to me i will not drink it but then he's like like you said he's like i'm not an alcoholic i have power over alcohol mm-hmm. you know it's like two different ideas which of course he's a human being so of course he's always going to be contradicting himself mm-hmm. um the concept of uh, white logic is really interesting to me. So, that, what is what? How did you perceive white logic? I thought of it as like alcoholic depression or like nihilism or that voice. He talks a lot about that voice telling him that there's it's just a void and there's really no point in it and it's just pointless. I think the white logic is what leads him to fall when he falls off that boat to just be taken out by the fucking undertow at mm-hmm. one point. You know, I, I I took the white logic as like an alcoholic depression. Yeah, you know. Or like a, a a prevalent depression that's already there that's been compounded by alcoholism, mm-hmm. you know. And that's how I took it. What do you think? Well, yeah. So he 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 mentions it early on. I think like in the first chapter, and then you don't mm-hmm. really hear about it until the last like four or five yeah. chapters, where the book mm-hmm. takes a very uh, takes a shift in tone. So like in the last four or five chapters, he starts talking about like. At this point now, it's less adventuring and it's more about dinner parties and, you know, him, you know, doing that. Mm -hmm. But it's much more philosophical. He starts quoting Japanese poets and, you know, it's all this deep, long soliloquies about about alcoholism and about being addicted and about, you know, dealing with. And it, it is that alcoholic depression and that sort of. That ennui and and that that um the that white logic is you know you become I know that I did I would embody the um the alcohol in a way where I was I was in love with the misery of it in some even as yeah, much as I hated yeah, it and it was very painful romantic Roma- he mm-hmm. romanticized the fuck out of it you know but I mean that's yeah. but in those last few chapters it's like it's all very flowery language and it's very deep about these things and he's talking about big broad concepts of human the human existence and human endeavor and all these different things and and so yes i think i think alcoholic depression is definitely like oh well what nothing matters so i'll just get let myself get what whisked away by the waves and whatever happens happens because that's what it was Mm -hmm. meant to be and kind of giving giving up your giving away your agency in life to alcohol. Yeah. You know, which is really on this end of it. It's like fucking sad. Yes. Well, at this point he's all busted up, you know, from his adventure (laughs) and he's had like every fucking exotic disease you can get. Oh yeah, that's right. You know what I'm saying? Like he really has. And he's just like fucked as I imagine I'm assuming his body's fucked up. Like his Mm-hmm. legs and back are all fucked up and he doesn't can't pee right or sit down right you know because he got a tt dancing tt <laughs> disease or some shit and he's just drinking i think he's honestly just sitting in his house getting fucking loaded and i they i maybe i read on the wikipedia or somewhere but i had read that they had that the real cause of his death was actually the actual cause of his death was a morphine overdose right did you read this yes too? yes but it was but they said it was uremia because he was suffering from kidney failure you know, and so I they they they, they I don't want to say theorize, but I guess they theorize that he may have committed suicide through a morphine because he mentioned suicide. The idea of dying, letting go it mm-hmm. happens a couple times in this book, you know, and what do us alcoholics are pretty prone to suicide. You know, mm-hmm. I, would, I would like I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you don't I think that we, we talk about alcoholism oftentimes you and I. 
as you know, we've I think we've said like it's sort of suicide on the installment plan. I think we've both heard that yeah. phrase that slow. Yeah, I love that concept. The slow though. death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, I know for me, I would wish myself dead. I know for me, mm-hmm. you know, in those moments, not 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 with and not with ever wanting to act on it or to be proactive about my suicide, but. You know, if it happens, right. it happens. I know, and that I might feeling. as well have yeah, another absolutely. drink. And this yeah. might be, yeah. And so this might be the last one. It might be Hopefully. the last one. Maybe, you know? it, yeah. God, I hope mm-hmm. I don't fucking wake up tomorrow. How many times have you said that? Yeah, oh yeah, dude. Oh, quite a bit. And not even joking. Like for real. Like I hope this is it. Like I hope mm-hmm. everything shuts down tonight because I'm fucking done. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm too, too afraid to do it by my own hand. You know. And I, I wonder if that's where jack was at the end you know well all these jacks man we should talk about kerouac at one point too but i'm gonna get there i have something to say in. about good him too. good <laughs> um so there's the 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 alcoholic death so i think that at the end you go like well maybe you don't go i'm going to end it all because i know that if i take too much morphine i'm going to die but the pain is mm-hmm. so bad that you're like i might as well take twice as much as i usually do because i just want the pain to go away and and honestly, yeah. for me, that's what it was. Truly, I didn't want to, I didn't want to kill myself. I didn't want to die. Yeah, I just wanted the pain yeah. to go away. And that's why I was drinking in the first right. place. So yes and no. So yes, of course he 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 committed suicide on some level. I mean, he had some. He was the one taking the morphine. He wasn't, you know, incapacitated yes, so right. much that he was being injected with it. Um, right. So I mean, I think that's something to be said that there's this that level of like yeah i'm gonna go ahead and let the uh let nature take its course if it must but i'm gonna take some more more see what happens yeah like i know what's gonna happen but let's just see what happens Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's the same thing too like we've talked about well would you ever drink again and go well no i kind of know what's gonna happen like well maybe maybe i could make it this time and like well right for how long i've yeah, if for how long? That's a really great concept. For how long? Maybe you could make it this time, but for how long? Because the eventuality is that you just end up where you were before. I mean, we've talked we talked about this mm-hmm. a number of times, and I know that we we kind of circle back around to it. But I mean, where do you end up? Uh, what makes you think the second time is going to be different? You know, it's never been different before. Even even when I didn't Not intentionally quit, yeah. There were a couple times where I, I had intentions and I quit for like a month here or I one time I quit for mm-hmm. two months. And as soon as those two months were over, like I couldn't wait. I was counting down the fucking days. It was a punishment, right? Right. Like you just click. I remember when you quit for that month because the doctor told you to quit. I said he was mm-hmm. a fucking quack. You're right. Because I was drunk. <laughs> I was drunk as shit. And I was like, get in the fucking hole with me. Mm-hmm. Get in the hole. We're all in this hole, John. We're all drunk. What are you doing? being not in the hole get drunk with us and you're like i can't do my doctor said you know i'm not doing too great and this will help me out so i'm gonna take a month off and i'm like that doc is a fucking quack you saw him in the basement of the fucking pike place or whatever Mm -hmm. i did yeah dude yeah and i was like well you gotta even go to a normal doctor in a normal doctor's office you gotta go to pike's place market which is next to the flower vendor and the dude who throws fish (laughs) basically he was he was right across from the guy that throws fish like right yeah oh i love it yeah but they were absolutely right. They're like, yo, you're fucking redlining your kidney. You're redlining your kidneys. You're redlining your liver. Like, mm-hmm. You got to stop. Yeah. You got to so, stop. So I think that he probably had more of a hand in his death than, you know, than they say. I, I would, I would, I, I would, I would, what's the phrase? Beg to guess. I would uh, venture. To I would no, venture to guess. Venture. Venture to guess. I would venture to guess. That two dudes... Two two uh, dudes in their forties in twenty twenty during a pandemic are talking about Jack London committing suicide. Nineteen sixteen. Nineteen sixteen. Um, he would have been like flying cars. I think they just they just did a, a test for the first flying car in Japan. Not oh, that that's anything, really? but I just read that's I saw some hor- article. That's such briefly. a horrible I idea. I know we're going there, but that's off. Flying cars is an awful idea. Don't. It's pretty bad. Don't. We can no. barely drive fucking cars. Mm-hmm. No, no flying cars. Flying bikes, though. That'd be rad. <laughs> no seatbelts. <laughs> no seatbelts. <clears throat> so you you bring up Jack Kerouac, and I want to yeah. bring up... I'm reading Jack London, and mm-hmm. 
there's this one of the other themes is working long hours, working menial tasks, working shit jobs. Um, I think there's another um, there's a book called Factotum. <laughs> and who what is Factotum? Yeah. Factotum is what is the the what is the meaning of that word? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. <clears throat> well, who? So you know who wrote Factotum, right? Yeah, it's Bukowski. <clears throat> I've read Factotum. Yeah. So I keep hearing all these themes that remind me of Jack Kerouac and remind me of Bukowski. Mm-hmm. With Kerouac, it was more like wanting adventure and wanting excitement and and all that right. stuff, right? And so that was something. Mm-hmm. I I am certain that both of these guys read Jack London. Um, they must have. I mean, especially Kerouac. Kerouac absolutely read Jack London because Kerouac had that London like, but instead, you know, that spirit. Let's get out there and see and see have the adventures world and, and yeah, f- take a big bite out of fucking life and the world. But with Lund- with Kerouac though, he was like, let's go see the cities and where the wild people are, and like, mm-hmm. let's go hang out with people of color because I was raised, you know, around white people in Connecticut mm-hmm. and 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 London was like, let's get out in the woods and fucking fight wolves. And Bukowski was like, I'll just keep doing this shit so I can drink. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I think about Bukowski in the post office working, mm-hmm. and he just did it so he could just continue getting loaded. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he it almost like he embraced the menial tasks yeah. just because it made it more morose for him, you know? So A Factotum, which is a book by Bukowski that I really enjoyed, um, a person mm-hmm. as a handyman or servant employed to do all kinds of work around oh. the house or an employee or official having many different responsibilities. So, but basically yeah, just... I did not know that. There was this notion all throughout uh, the beginning part of uh, John Barleycorn where he talks about mm-hmm. working in factories and how he's like, I never want to work. Yeah. I don't... I want to I want to get paid for using my brain and not my body. My body is worn out. And, you know, the shortest day that I ever worked there was 10 hours. And some days I would... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even be able to read or write. And I would work... 20 hours a day straight and all this stuff. And so right. and I hear the same shit from Bukowski about working the the boring jobs. And and you're right. He was in it just to kind of like, I just want to make the money so I can drink yeah, and leave me alone. And Bukowski well, almost I, wanted yeah. to live like a small life. He did. He wanted a little tiny life. And then he's like, this writing thing is paying off. You know, and so he kept writing and then <laughs> women will sleep with me if I keep writing mm-hmm. and I can lie about it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I noticed about Jack London too, um, him talking about these menial jobs, factory jobs and doing shit over and over again for long hours and low pay is I think it also ties into um, not only his sense for of adventure and wanting to be out there and, and experience things, but I think it ties into his politics. I think a lot of it has to do with socialism as well, mm-hmm. you know. Like the idea of having to labor to do these menial labors, you know what I mean? For and be treated like shit by your uppers. I mean, because there is he goes into the whole thing about how the guy was going to train him to be electrician, but they were just fucking him over. Mm-hmm. They were just fucking with him, and so he was like, "Well, I'm going back out to the oyster pirates or whatever," you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Kiss my ass! I'm going to go hang out with one legged Sally and French Johnny." <laughs> Basically, you know? yeah. I think that tied into his socialism, which I appreciate as, you know, politics, you know, politics, uh, whatever. But, you know, I appreciate seeing the political aspect of his thought process. That interests me. Seeing that he was kind of a progressive kind of dude in some aspects, but also really regressive because of the time he was raised and Mm -hmm. the ideals he was raised with as a person, Mm -hmm. you know. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know he was a big lover of nature obviously mm-hmm. and he was a he yeah. was an animal rights activist and i have been so i live very very close to jack london uh state park yeah i was i wanted to bring that up because you're really <laughs> close to his estate i believe yes so i've been up there a few times i've seen the wolf house which is the house that burned down um not mm-hmm. because and i i wanted to look that up because i was like did he get fucking drunk and like drop a cigarette or something yeah. like that was, <laughs> yeah exactly no it pipe. was yeah it wasn't even built yet they hadn't moved in um mm-hmm. so they say maybe it was like oil soaked rags or probably some shit like that from varnish or something mm-hmm. like that but i live very very close there and so it's really cool like there's another part of it called pig palace where he had all his pigs uh-huh. so it's like this very uh-huh. weird um it's just a pig enclosure. I mean, there's no pigs there anymore. Yeah. Everything is just empty. Um, but you can go walk around in there. And it's 
gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. And so I think that's... So is his estate, his home is gone completely? Like it burned down after he died? or It burned down before they moved in. Or is his house still there? It's still there. The remains are still there. You can go see the burned down Mm -hmm. house. But they had never Uh moved in. And his wife moved into a little house... I guess, or maybe they lived on something called the Beauty Ranch there too. And so she lived there right. for like until 1955 when she died. Charmaine. Charmaine. Yeah. And so she ended so up. So he never, li- he he had a home in Sonoma? Or he, he did. He no, he did he... for sure. Oh, okay. He had a home. He had acres. Mm-hmm. He was just building another bigger, better home that Oh, bigger, better home and it burnt down. Okay, that's that's yeah. clearer for me. Um, But I would highly suggest to anybody who's in Sonoma County that they go to Jack London State Park. It's beautiful. It's cool. If you get past, um, you know, the burned down house and all the other stuff, I've been to the top and back, and it's really beautiful. Um, So I think that, you know, that's something I don't want to, I don't know the full scope of the man. I'm just, you know, we're more talking about his his attitude toward alcohol. But yes, right. But Mm -hmm. his he was a lover of nature, and thank God that he had saved these or bought and kept and that his family and his, you know, his, his estate had passed them on and given them to the state to keep as a national park. Mm, it's, um. it's really interesting to think of him. Yeah. And I don't want to judge this entire man by this one book. i just want to judge this, not even judge, but just give my perspective on this book and my perspective on him during these periods of time and his approach to alcoholism, right? Mm-hmm. Him as a person, I don't know. You know, I'd have to read a biography on him, but I think it's very interesting you bringing up him being a lover of nature, being out with all this acreage, being a conservationist, being a sailor, and he's out there in these giant, vast spaces, and clearly understanding his size in the world, like that he's not this big. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when you're on the ocean, all you see is the ocean, and you realize, oh my God, I am insignificant, and you Mm -hmm. think that that, or even out in the woods, and you're like. There are tons of powers out here greater than me. You'd think mm-hmm. at that point you'd start realizing, oh, this isn't all about me. This isn't all about my drinking. Do you know what I mean? Like this sure. is something bigger than that. But I guess it's when you're not trying to make that connection, it must be difficult to make. You know, if you're not actively trying to make that connection. He was also very young. He was a very young man and he was drunk most of the time. Yeah. Even when he was saying, yeah. I didn't drink for 47 days. And you're like, well, that's great, Jack. All drunk as shit. Yeah. Probably. And or yeah. you're thinking about it because you're counting the days. Yeah. You know, you're counting the fucking <laughs> days, Jack. Or, you know, here's another here's another one. Um, He would talk about how he had all these. I had rules for my drinking. I had rules for oh my, my drinking. Yeah. I would finish mm-hmm. my, I would write my thousand words, you know, and before, and then near the end, he's like, I couldn't even finish my thousand words without drinking. So I would finish 500. I'd have to write 500. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and you're like, dude, come on now. Like, that's not alcohol's fault, yeah. dude. That's not, so. that, that's not because it was readily available to you. Like what, I guess his idea would be like, you can just go somewhere and dry out. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you get back into town, you, it's all excuses. Like, well, I want to do the things that men do. There's a lot of masculinity in this. Yeah. Book, so right? I want to talk about that too. So I, I need to be at the places men are. So I need to go get fucking shit can blind drunk, you know? Cause that's I didn't what like men it. Do. I didn't think he says, I th- I'm sorry. I'm going to let you get your point, but he's like, mm-hmm. alcohol tasted horrible to me. I didn't like it. And I was like, yeah, dude, I didn't like it either. (laughs) I didn't. I thought whiskey tasted like shit. I thought beer tasted horrible. I never liked the taste of it. That's why I would mix it. And he even talks about cocktails and mixing it with something to make it palatable, you know? Mm -hmm. He he said that a lot too, but I hated the taste and I only drank it to make... There was all the... It was so fraught with denial and contradiction about alcoholism. And again, I'm not judging this man... But like, God damn, Jack. Damn you, John Redcorn. You know you're Joseph's father. <laughs> and so it was just, it would just blow my mind. I didn't, I, I didn't like the taste, but we drank it for five days straight. Or, right. you know, I didn't like, I never liked the taste. Or I wasn't, I wasn't addicted, he would always say. Or, or I, I had no need for this stuff. I only wanted it because it was sociable or I only wanted it because it was what was done. And so this is a perfect example of the toxic masculinity 
that often yeah, revolves around alcohol and alcoholism. Oh, yeah. And how as a young man, and we're talking young man, like I think at some point he's like 15, 16 years old, and he learns how to drink, and he learns what it means to buy somebody else a drink, and he goes... Well, I yeah. got to drink as much as this person. And, or, you know, this is where men do business and this is where men do deals and <clears throat> all this stuff. That about, was interesting to me. Though. Yeah. Proving yourself mm-hmm. to another person, mm-hmm. proving yourself to this, to the, to the pirates, to the fucking Oyster Bay or whatever. And, the Oyster Pirates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did they just go steal oysters? Like, yo, up them fucking oysters, <clears throat> me. Basically, I think so. I, that was, that was the gist I got. I haven't done a history on Oyster Pirates, mm-hmm. but, um. But go ahead. Him learning the him learning the rules around drinking in a bar was interesting to me, though, because I remember learning the rules around drinking mm-hmm. in a bar. What it, the pomp and circumstance of drinking in a bar? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? All the stuff that goes with. Well, if I buy you around, you buy me around. I buy you around. You know what I mean? Like learning those kind of unspoken mm-hmm. that unspoken ritual of drinking in a bar interested me because I recall doing that like growing up and and going to bars and being like oh right well and i did a lot of it with you actually you know Mm -hmm. it's so funny that we do this because i did learn (laughs) a lot of the bar rules with you and you learned them with me and then you'd pass that knowledge on to me and then i'd tell you well what do you think of this you know right having to like navigate these little like weird social interactions and right but he, he, and you'd like lean over and be like, ask for well whiskey, it's cheaper. And he'd be like, oh, you're right. If I don't say a name of a whiskey, I can get more whiskey if I just say what's in the well. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he talks about, there's a lot about bartender worship. And, um, you know, he... Dude, and this is interesting coming from you, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Good as a bartender, yes, there's, there's a certain level. Um, when I was a bartender... Um, it was all about ego and it was all about like being in control. Yeah, it was. And it was all about That's that. And so, fucking funny. and so, so, but he would just watch the bartender and, and one of the things about, you know, the bartender would buy a drink for you. And then, so then the guy was like buying the bartender a drink and he's like, why is the guy buying the bartender a drink? The bartender has access to all the booze and all these different mm-hmm. things. And there, the, there it is. The bartender is drinking his 10 cent whiskey while we're drinking five cent whiskey. And, you know, yeah. all these different things, but he just loved the bartender and this whole idea of yeah. of how they would have a tab for you and what a source of um, pride it was to have a tab run for you, that you were trusted yeah. in a saloon to have a bartender mm-hmm. run you a tab because you were a trustworthy mm-hmm. fellow to have. And he's like the guy next to him is like, look at all those pages of, of money that he owes this guy. Like that was something yeah. cool to be proud of. Um, was, yeah, yeah. That's the bartender worship is a very interesting thing. And it's come up between us during our drinking days where you would say, we need to go to this bar cause so-and-so works there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who's so-and-so? And you're like, dude, he's fucking badass bartender. He's got all these accolades. You know what? He's somebody I really yeah. admire as a bartender. And to me, he was just a dude who'd bring me Jim Beam and I'd give him money and say, thank you for the Jim Beam. But to you, he had a different significance cause you work mm-hmm. within the industry, right? You know? Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. It's funny because we, you and I would go out to drink and you'd get your beam and coke, and I'd be like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. let me get a um, Hemingway daiquiri or a Pegu Club." Oh yeah, or... yeah. Hey, does that come in a hollowed out pineapple? <laughs> you know, or some weird shit? You, know, ooh, mm-hmm. are these smoked maraschino cherries? And I'm just like, what? What do you have in the well? <laughs> Is there beam in the well? Mm-hmm. All right. And so our, I, it remind, it made me think of you when I was reading this and just you being a bartender and having people look up to you because you're the guy with the drinks. Like at the end of the night, you determine who drinks and then you have like your bouncers who determine who doesn't get to stay and drink anymore. And right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there is that, that does feed the ego. There is definitely a lot of like, I've been cut off because the bartender didn't like me and I was not drunk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, at least in my opinion, I wasn't drunk. You're right. the alcoholic coming out again. Mm-hmm. I wasn't drunk, man. I just peed myself a little. <clears throat> Right. I wasn't, I'm not yeah. drunk, you know, and you, it too, it's, it's yeah. The, the, the drunks never know how badly they're behaving. <laughs> they right. just don't. I think one of these podcasts, we should talk about your experiences as a bartender, sure. at least from your end of the bar as an alcoholic and a bartender would be very interesting. Yeah. Cause sure. you and I know it, Absolutely. we talk about it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, it's, and it was funny because as an alcoholic and somebody who drank to fucking black out, you would yeah. think that I would not abuse 
other bartenders, but that didn't stop me. You guys all abuse each other. You guys were the worst alcoholics of the bunch of fucking bartenders. <laughs> Basically. You guys were like blind drunk constantly, and you guys were either sleeping with each other or abusing each other. I admired it. See? When I was drinking, I really admired it. I was like, mm-hmm. man, I want to. I want to be part of this club. Yeah. I was tattooing, which apparently is a cool job, and I wanted to be a bartender. I was Mm -hmm. like, dang, these. I want to work till. I want to get drunk at Mm -hmm. eight in the morning because that's (laughs) when my shift ends. Like, (laughs) right? Um, Yeah. But so the the thing, too, was all of the. The really. The toxic masculinity and the the amount of. Mm -hmm. the, The equating drinking to strength the equating the volume of yeah. drinking to um your worth as a man and right. he talked a lot about that and that was something yeah. that and also that that's that it was it was social i had to i had to do it because it was social mm-hmm. it was the only place where mm-hmm. i could socialize and you know right. again i think if you know, there had been a meeting available. Maybe Jack London might have had somewhere else to go, but might have, yeah. You know, lived to 70, <laughs> 75 maybe. But I think that that was definitely something that I was taught. Not, I mean, by the company I kept, but also by the the heroes I had and the books I read and Hunter S. Thompson, yeah. Bukowski, and you know, at this point, Jack London. But he seems like the seed for all of these other authors because yeah. he was one of the mm-hmm. very first I don't want to say very very first but you don't really hear this is when I mean America's history is all kinds of fucked up but um at yes, this point yeah. talking about drinking and adventuring and this sort of the rugged idealism of a, of an American man um mm-hmm. this seems like the seed for Jack Kerouac and Hunter S Thompson and there's there's tons it of is. other authors that I'm I'm not mm-hmm. thinking of probably um, Henry Miller and uh, people who came after him you know right um, they they are adolescent ideas read by adolescents do you know what I mean like mm. like what what London is talking about are very adolescent ideas and because uh, he was an adolescent when he experienced them and then you have young men who are adolescents reading because they give you White Fang and they give you Call of the Wild to read when you're a kid. You read these adolescent ideas, and then you never outgrow them. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. just kind of stay in that arrested development. Mm-hmm. Like, just think like a 14-year-old your whole life, you know? It's awful. I don't mm-hmm. want to think like a 14-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's that was something that I learned <laughs> in the program was mm-hmm. they would say – somebody told me once, when you, when you first begin drinking alcoholically – and if you continue, that's where you, stop, right? that's where you mm-hmm. stop with your emotional development, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I started at like 16 or 17 until I was 38, like I was 17 years old in my head yeah. until I just, my body couldn't handle it anymore, right? It just feels like you're not learning anything new, right? You're right. not retaining the knowledge you need to be, that trial and error knowledge of learning. Because you know what? everybody can have a plan, but at the end of the day, life is all trial and error. Like, you make a mistake, you learn from the mistake, but if you're getting fucking loaded, it's almost like you just blank slate it constantly. You learn from the mistake, but then you wake up with a whole new, you just like reboot. You wake mm-hmm. up and you're like, that mistake wasn't learned from. I didn't, I don't remember it, or I don't care to learn from it. So, yeah, you just kind of stay in stasis, you know? And then you end up writing a bunch of books like Hunter S. Thompson or <laughs> Jack. London or Jack Kerouac or fucking yeah Bukowski all these guys we read that gave us this they sold us a really weird bill of sale man mm-hmm. and I'm not blaming them for my alcoholism I'm just saying like they, it, I should have realized that all this shit was adolescent fantasy when I was reading it you know and I didn't and now that I'm older I'm like well that's just like almost like kid stuff you know like yeah it's cool like it's wild shit but it just feels like what teenagers tell each other so they think they're cool you know it really does anymore, and I mean, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to discount these people who. No, I don't either. I mean, you sold all your Bukowski books. I did. Right? I sold Except most of them. I have no. I. I don't. I don't think I ever had. Or, yeah, I sold that one too. The only one uh-huh. I don't. I didn't sell was the one that I haven't read, which is Ham on Rye about his childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I. But yeah, so I sold it, and you know, even like the Hunter S. Thompson stuff. Like I used to revere these people, and it's not so that I, I don't mm-hmm. anymore. I have. I have Hunter S. Thompson and Bukowski's words 
tattooed on my body. Thank yeah, you, you very do. much. I have Bukowski's words tattooed <clears throat> on my body too. So yeah. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. And you're <laughs> Thank you. You also have Billy Joel's words That's tattooed true. on your body. So right. Um, yeah. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed. You know, I'm not like saddened by it. I don't no. regret it. There's no regret there. Um, but right. But the thought that that these men never grew out of that, right, seems a little disappointing. It's 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 kind of mo- it's kind of sad. It's kind of it makes me feel sad because you know Hunter S shot himself in the fucking brain because he was sick and he was dying of a disease that mm-hmm. he got by treating his body like shit for so long. Do you know what I mean? Kerouac mm-hmm. died of complete fucking liver failure. Like he died throwing up blood in his mother's toilet. You know, like these men. You know, Bukowski had what kidney cancer? He had or leukemia. He had, he had blood leukemia. cancer. Although I can't which. It's not due to alcoholism necessarily, but no, shit didn't help. I mean, no, it definitely did not help, you know. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he could have been one of those people that was just built with a fucking constitution. You know, mm-hmm. my grandfather's one of those. But all these guys we admired, though, I, 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 maybe I want to retract the statement of they sold me a shitty bill of sale. But I definitely look back on it and I'm like, yeah, this is like the time when I was in high school and dyed my hair green to freak out all the normals. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just never grew out of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, to this day, I'm like, Megan, am I too normal? I think it still bugs me. Like, I don't know what it is. No, you know? you're not, Jerry. I promise. I don't think... I'm a fucking shit show. Mm. But mm. a fun shit show. Sure. Double so, clap. I, I just... I I, um, I I know that... You know, when I said, hey, let's read this book and talk about it. And you're like, fucking yeah. homework assignment? God damn it. And, <laughs> I'm always going to be like that. But, but I still do no, it. I know. I know. I know. Um, But... But I, I was kind of like, I don't know what I was gonna, what we, what was gonna happen out of this conversation. I right. really don't. And I, I just right. read it, and I was like, huh, isn't it interesting that somebody wrote a book about their alcoholism prior to there being any sort of recovery program? That is interesting. So yeah. that there was mm. that. I don't know if that's like if the Oxford group was around back then. I don't think so. I think that was still too fucking I think early. They were in the twenties. Yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. there was no. There was no re- or very little research being done about how to recover from these things, and no. So I mean, I can I can only imagine that even through all of that denial, and you know, your whole your whole life is shaped around I have to be strong and I have to be a man and I have to drink hard and I have to fucking do all these things. Like it must have been painful and exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been very tiring. Yeah, I I just I can't even imagine not having a resource and to go like 100 years into the future and being like, I guess I'm going to go check that Instagram meme page that makes me laugh about my fucking recovery (laughs) about my recovery. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. It's a picture of like a turtle upside down. It's like that feeling you get when you black out (laughs) after not going to a meeting or some shit. And I'm like, ha ha, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about doing memes, Jerry? Like create? No. (laughs) No, I've I've th- I've thought about it, but I know I can't do them. Okay, I'm like, what do I do? Find a picture of like facts of life and be like that face when you're fucking <laughs> Arthur Drummond. Like I don't, I can't. No, I like I, can't, I don't think like that. You know what I mean? I yeah. wish I could because I know I can say things funny. But yeah, I can say things funny, right? I know I have a wit to me. I know because I've relied on it for years to get me things. But like the memes, I don't know. I can't. That's mm-hmm. young people shit. I appreciate them, but yeah. I'm like, I ain't no Gen Z. I'm a boomer to them. I'm like an old fart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I They're like whatever Gen X. <laughs> what did you guys do? Just made sarcasm cool, which is right. pretty much memes. Basically. Welcome, kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I just think it's a trip to go a hundred years, you know, between the two and look at the, yeah. look at the difference between what was acceptable then and what's acceptable. Now. Yes. At the end of everything, it was worth it. It was a good read in that we had a good conversation out of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and if I, I always will have resistance to be like, you ruined fucking, not you, but Jack London ruined himself for me. But, you know, that's like, though I'm experiencing the book. So in the moment, I'm like, this motherfucker, like, relax, dude. Just accept what you are and fucking either handle it or yeah. don't. And he didn't handle it. He couldn't accept what he was. Just know? relax. Who Just, yeah. It was such a it was such a trip. Like, you know, he would talk John Barleycorn is a wizard dopester. You know, he would say shit like that. That was another yeah. line. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then so he also talked about wanting to kill himself and be. I grew afraid of my revolver. I forgot all about that. Like he had yeah. huge amounts mm-hmm. of suicidal ideation. So yeah, of mm-hmm. course, the, when the morphine comes at the end and you're dying of kidney failure, who wants to live that it's way? A step down. It's you yeah. Know? That way's yeah. But yeah, yeah. I it it was a good read. You know what I'm. You know what I did too over the last couple of days is I listened to it on Audible. So did I. Um, yeah. But I put it at 1.3 speed, so I didn't have to That's sit. That's wild. <laughs> I don't do that. Is it weird to listen to a book that fast? 1.5 is do. too fast. But 1.3, uh-huh. I mean, unless it's something you're really getting engrossed in, but I think as mm-hmm. far as this being something I had already read and was just reviewing, 1.3 mm-hmm. was fine to get the gist of what was going just on to of get something the gist. I had already yeah. read. And his voice isn't helium. It's just a little pitch just higher. Just a little so bit. Like, just a little bit. This guy's so, in a hurry. So would you suggest this book to somebody in recovery? Because I think my sponsor was, this is a book my sponsor suggested to me. And I don't remember why, but I bought it like years ago and just never read it. That's a good question. It depends on where their recovery is at. Mm-hmm. Someone in early recovery who's trying to figure out who they are as a person and the ropes and not the ropes, but you know what I mean? Like try to get their head Mm -hmm. around what's happening to them. I wouldn't. No. But someone who's got probably more than two or three years and has their shit kind of a little more together, I probably would just to be like, yo, check this out. This is what you could be. You know what I mean? If you Mm -hmm. didn't, this is what you could have been if you didn't get your shit together. But someone fresh, wet, out of the rain, smelling like wet cigarettes, all sad and shaky. I would not be like, yo, you need to read John Bar the Corn. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna make you sad. No, but uh, a guy like yeah, like it's, you and I it's who true. Have, feel a little more confident in our recovery, I would be like, check this out because this dude is yes. fucking crazy. It is not the book you need when you're, you know, like you said, smelling like wet cigarettes. When yeah. when what you're looking for is some emotional comfort and stability, this is not the book. No, when you're interested in a intellectual exercise, you know. Of right. comparison between mm-hmm. recovery now and recovery then, then yeah, I think that it's a fine book to to eventually read it's as a, a sober fine person, book, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know he and he wrote like he wrote like fifty. He published fifty books in the last like fifteen, sixteen years of his life. He's probably just sitting on all those manuscripts, you know. So I mean, you write a thousand Writing words a day, thousand pages a day, yeah, a thousand words a day, not a pages. Mm-hmm. That just is all fucking loaded. Like the last fucking 400 words are just fucking sideways. God. God damn, John. But um, I think that's that's. God it. damn you, John Barleycorn. God <laughs> that's, damn you. That's our uh, our review of, of uh, Jack London's John Barleycorn. Yeah. I don't know. If, if you're feeling like uh, reading a bunch of Denial, give it a go. I don't want to read it again, so I'm good. Mm-mm, I'll never read it again. I think you can no. find it. You might be able to find it for free on Overdrive, which is a uh, library audiobook mm-hmm. uh, or Kindle. You can, if you you can really find it on to. YouTube, too. That, too. Fact, after I used an Audible credit on it, I was like, fuck, I could have listened to this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So yeah. don't waste your money. but uh, Don't waste your money. I used a free credit from Audible, though. Well. And then the second free credit from Audible, I got The Stand. I read The Stand like a long time ago. And it's like a 47-hour book. So I'm like, fuck you, Audible. I got you. 47-hour book is mine. Get my money. Money's worth it. Dude, reading The Stand in the middle of a pandemic is not a good idea. It makes it scarier. Uh, It makes it better, though. Yeah, it scares me. I I read it when I was really sick one time. So did I. I read it the flu. Uh huh. And so I was like, finally, because I think I'd had the book for like years on my shelf is one of these ones like I got from my dad or something I took from uh-huh. his bookshelf when I moved out of the house and I was like the stand by Stephen King because that was yeah. cool in the 90s and I had no idea why until I got yeah. I got the flu one time and I read it and I was like oh Jesus it's all about the super flu still a pretty good book Great he book. uses the n-word a lot yeah. he like loves the n-word in that book like using characters who like to use the mm-hmm. n-word he's not just typing out the whole page <laughs> of the n-word no. you know but like yeah anyway so my recommendation for this month is don't read The Stand either unless you really want to <laughs> feel super uncomfortable. But I've been enjoying it while I paint. There's lots of great uh, recovery books. Um, mm-hmm. I've read This Naked Mind, um, basically anything by Mishka Shubali. Um, and yeah, Mishka's great. Mishka's books are very casual. I love them. I don't know if I can fuck with This Naked Mind. It sounds seems like it'd be a little sterile. 
it's a little sterile. It's a little dry. clinical. It's a little dry. I read it. Um, it's uh, it's just a different approach, and that's the thing that I yeah. appreciate it. It's I read it mm-hmm. once. I don't. I'm not in love with the with all of it. Like I don't go back to it. I don't reread it. But um, right. you know, I think it's definitely a different approach. If if one approach is not working for you. Go to the other. And then somebody did reach out to me, and I, I messaged them back, but I just wanted to say Mishka Shubali's Cold Turkey Only on Audible is a great oh, yeah. resource for it is awesome people in early recovery. So it's it's mm-hmm. all about the first 30 days, but you um, who, who doesn't need those first 30 days three months into their recovery or a year who into doesn't? their recovery? Sometimes I still need those first 30 days <laughs> right. now, dude. Yeah. So it's basically a great way to... Um, it's a great resource. It's a great, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of day-by-day plan for how to get through yeah. 30 days. It's a good plan. Um, yeah, good plan. Good guide. Uh-huh. Guidebook. You know, so there's there's lots of good resources out there. It's not just the one that everybody thinks, oh, there's only one way to do it. You can only do it that one way. Mm-hmm. No, there's other ways. So. Just don't do it the John Barleycorn way. <laughs> no, don't. That way it's not right. That's, it's really not. <laughs> No. Oh, barley cord. I can honestly say that's incorrect. <laughs> that is incorrect. It did not work. <laughs> Does not work. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>